0: This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started. started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive podcast about the sport of pro wrestling. And of course, appreciate you however you're listening through the litany of ways you can, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, amongst other sources. Man, a lot of stuff happened this past week in the sport of wrestling. And it felt like to a certain extent, it's a reverse Shawshank Redemption. You managed to sludge through a lot of good stuff. There was a lot of good stuff that I enjoyed this week in wrestling, especially AEW, which we'll talk about a little bit more because I'm going to deviate from the norm. Lately, I've just been more trying to hit the broad topics, but with it being a pay-per-view week, and also I had to watch Dynamite and Rampage. And they were so damn good, I had to treat them like they were a full-blown pay-per-view event. So I'll give you some reviews on that as well. But then we got to the pile of crap that was Extreme Rules. And for a lot of reasons, there was a lot of issues. And I'll get to those in a little bit. But first, we're going to get into Extreme Rules. We're going to go into trudging through the 500 miles of crap to get to the good stuff to get to probably one of the the best matches of the year. One of the best UFC fights of the year. If not one of the top 10 fights of all time between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega, we're going to talk about UFC 266. We're going to talk about grand slam. We're going to talk about rampage grand slam and dynamite grand slam, but we're also, we got to get into extreme rules and we're going to go ahead and open the podcast up. With that steaming, stinking pile of dung of a finish and also kind of a mess, if you will. Let's start off with the kickoff match. Carmella versus Liv Morgan. Full disclosure, was actually looking forward to this because it seems like it would be a really good match on paper. Carmella's improved a lot over the last couple of years after her women's title reign on SmackDown a few years ago. She has gotten better and better. I think you started to see that a little bit more in this match against Liv Morgan. But honestly, I didn't pay attention to a single minute of it. And it's not because it was bad. It's because there was so much going on that kept me, like, out of out of it. I was fully out of it from the second the bell rang, or from the second the entrances happened. Because once they segued into it, all of a sudden you started hearing the English announced team, the Spanish announced team, and apparently you are hearing... The freaking German announced team in some cases for the entire kickoff match. They were, it was like about a two minute span, maybe in the middle of that match where it was like, okay, things are going well. But then the issues started to pop up again. I don't know if that was Peacock, if that was the WWE, but somebody screwed up and screwed up majorly. I was wondering what the bleep is going on here where we have that be an actual start to a show what the hell is going on here? It was a bad start. And it took me completely out of it for that opening contest. Carmella at one point got a promo. You couldn't hear her because you were hearing commentators for English, Spanish, maybe German. I don't know if I heard German, but you heard multiple, multiple people talking over each other and you couldn't make a, get a word in edge wise. They replayed it later on. It was definitely an easy cheap heat promo and it worked. But damn it, I was so frustrated watching this promo take place. It was nauseating to hear all the crap that we were hearing. And this was during the pre-show. I was like, hopefully this thing gets better. Hopefully it gets better. Because if it doesn't, they're going to lose a lot of people watching this and maybe watching it permanently. Because this was bad. This was a bad start. Overall match was fine. I give it two and a half links to Butan. She wound up getting the win after a face buster on the outside and a springboard line, flatliner. Excuse me. And they managed to put together a really good match. And just everything that happened in the first like eight or nine minutes of this is unacceptable. And I was about to give up watching this show. I was about to say you don't, know, not even gonna bother watching. That's how bad the kickoff was for me. Like the actual kickoff show, the panels, those went well. But once it got to the ring and had the commentary going, you were hearing like 50 different pots. And it was like, I I almost had a headache. I felt like I was having a stroke. I was hearing multiple voices, which happens on the regular with me, but this was not great. Then we get to the six-man tag team match, and they were back with the issues. And this actually... Got built up during the pre-show, which I absolutely liked. It was predictable as hell, but it worked. So the six-man tag is New Day taking on AJ Styles, OMAS, and Bobby Lashley. AJ Styles, OMAS, were cutting a promo. They got in a brawl with the New Day. Bobby Lashley joined in the brawl, obviously still dealing with Big E. We'll talk about that later. And the match starts off. It feels like vintage TNA, like 2008, the way this match starts off with Xavier Woods, the former Austin Creed taking on AJ Styles to open up the match, and they they do some good stuff. Again, I'm still dealing with the French commentary. I was hearing that in the background. I was like, God, this is so horrible. And I couldn't focus all that much in this match. I'm still kind of like just waiting for another issue, and I'd walk away from it. I wouldn't be reviewing this show, but I did manage to review Extreme Rules and actually write down a lot of thoughts on it. And this is another thing. I noticed that at WrestleMania, but I think Kofi and Almas work really well together. It's that David Goliath dynamic, and it works extremely well with somebody like Kofi. And it's somebody who I haven't seen a whole hell of a lot, like be with the big guys. Obviously, he was around during the great Khali's later days. The big show was still a big name when he came back to the WWE in 2009. No, oh, 2008. Man, it's been that long. 2008. was it when He came back after a couple of years away. So I haven't seen, I I just can't think of many matches where he had that David versus Goliath. And obviously, the match he had at WrestleMania was pretty darn good, especially with Omos's first match. But he's getting better. And working with these guys is going to really speak to the strengths. That's the thing you want to do, is accentuate the positive and Take away the negative. That's what we see a lot with NXT 2.0. With a lot of the younger guys, they're working shorter matches. With the exception of Braun Breaker, who, by the way, Braun Breaker is a bona fide star in that brand. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the main roster by the end of WrestleMania season 2022. That's a different conversation. But at one point, you know, everybody got a really good chance to shine. Lashley had an awesome front power slam for two on Woods. He tees one later, that, but Woods pushed him on top rope, hits the drop kick, Managed to get a hot tag. This is when I started really paying attention because I was also eating Whataburger, but still, really good stuff here. Big E gets a hot tag, suplexes AJ Styles immediately, decks Omos a couple times, big splash and E sets up for the big ending. AJ counters hits his quick strike combo, ending with a Pele. Always looks great. Went after E, but he wanted. to Catch him midair, almost like the Samoa Joe Uranaki you'd see him do all the time, and it was pretty damn good. Biggie goes for the superplex, but Styles gets out of it. Riddle really loved touch from him. He tries to spear AJ on the outside, but AJ counters again. And that's been a fun part of the match, just seeing everything be counter-fest. It's like counter, 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 counter. And you saw things just go back and forth, back and forth. Kofi tags in, hits a big crossbody for two, before Lashley breaks it up. Then you see Kofi tag in. Excuse me, Lashley breaks up. He tags himself in, hits Kofi with a big move for two, and then about a half, it was two and a half. About throws Bobby Lashley out of the ring. E tags in, throws Kofi out of the ring, but Omos swats him out in midair, which again a great spot. STO by Lashley that sets up the spear, but AJ Styles tags himself in. And then Lashley says, no, I'm going to go ahead and tag myself back in, which was hilarious in and of itself. And then in the midst of the chaos, he hits the big ending, wins the match. This was a hell of a main card opener. And yes, you put the WWE champion in the opener, but it made sense. I think you put him in there in and of itself was great. So I think I'm going to put three and a half leagues of boot in a great return to form for these two for the new day being back in full. Hopefully they stick around a little bit longer. Now we get into the SmackDown tag team championship match with the Usos defending the title against the Street profits. And the second the profits come over, come out of the ring. And it's like, I sat there. I was like, this group is still over. And it's like, it's been a while since they've been champions and they were protected really well. And then they lost to the Hurt Business, which again, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember what the order was. And I'm usually good with the order. But I don't know at one point the Hurt Business won the titles and then they, or something, something happened and they lost the titles. No, wait. Now I remember they swapped the titles with the New Day and then they went to SmackDown and lost to, if I'm not mistaken, the Dirty Dogs somewhere along the line, but they were protected really well during the pandemic. They were a big highlight for me. And just, they're so entertaining. They bring that right amount of energy and outside the Viking Raiders cinematic match. They were absolutely fantastic as like a top level tag team and the Usos are probably a lot better. And the way they sold this story was the fact that on the SmackDown before because Angelo Dawkins was out of town dealing with the funeral, they said. And then it was Montez Ford having to face Roman Reigns. And he's selling the after effects of that, which was really great. And he sold like death every single time there was a big bump that happened in this match. At one point, Ford's like just rolling. He's taking momentum early on. But then a kick to the lower back stops the momentum dead in half. And Pat McAfee, I love him to death. He wound up saying a lot of stuff that I just didn't care for. Like the fact that he kept bringing up Justin Tucker hitting a 66-yard field goal, it didn't do anything to add to the conversation. But what he did say was the fact that Tua Tungavailoa, he's currently dealing with a rib injury. That made sense in terms of telling a story and expounding upon it, explaining how maybe he's not necessarily as big of an injury for Montez Ford compared compared to what we see with Tua Tagovailoa, somebody who is also dealing with a similar injury. Usos rip off the tape after a backdrop to the outside. Jay locks in a bear hug, which was a really, again, it's the technical side of things, and, and knowing how to sell an angle and sell an injury, this was a great job of doing that. And Ford did a great job selling the rest of the way. He basically, for the hot tag to Dawkins, Ford just dragged himself. You could tell every single move he took, it took a lot out of him. And this is when the match just really goes, like, fast. Jay at one point goes for a dive. Angelo catches him and connects with a T-bone suplex on the outside. And this T-bone looked, looked great once he's able to hook it up. It felt a little awkward the way he pulled it off. It would have been a lot better seeing the crossbody, him catching him in midair than doing, like, a followaway slam. But, again, Going for a T-bone suplex is always something I like. Dawkins hit Jimmy with a superplex into a twisting neckbreaker for two. Basically, it's almost like a modified, sort of like how you see Seth Rollins do the superplex in the falcon arrow. And it looks really good. Then Ford got the tag, hit a doomsday blockbuster. I was like, what the hell? That's awesome. And they do that. Montez tries to hit the frog splash. Jimmy gets the knees up, goes for a quick pin. They go for another doomsday, but Ford is still on the ribs and can't get up all the way. Jay hits a super kick on Dawkins, and then Jimmy hits the Uso splash for 2.9. Ford hits his frog splash from the heavens. Jimmy breaks it up at the last second. Usos go for the double super kicks, but Dawkins takes the bullet for Montez Ford. But they do hit the double super kick a few moments later, and then the double splash, which by the way, the two post massacre is probably one of my favorite spots in an Usos tag match. Because, again, I'm a huge Ready to Rumble guy, and seeing that move still be used and you know it's going to be absolutely brutal or, should I say, lethal in a wrestling match, it's good. And this was the perfect way to end the match, and the Usos retained the tag team titles. You knew the end result, but you still had that sense of doubt when it was all said and done. This is a 4 link Bodan-type match. It exceeded expectations a lot for me. Then we go to a backstage segment. Bobby Lashley calls out Big E, challenge him, challenges him to a title match this Monday night on Raw. Now we get to Raw Women's Championship match. Alexa Bliss taking on the reigning champion Charlotte. Bliss starts off hitting a nice head scissors, and they kind of kept their distance early on. They had a little collar and elbow tie up, which, by the way, they need to stop doing that in feuds. Especially, like, actually serious feuds. It's so stupid. But at one point, you know, you saw Flair really overpower the smaller Bliss. At one point, she locked her into a gory special. Bliss got out of it, turned into a Hurricane Rana. Then Flair went to the top trying to go for the moonsault, but Bliss dropped her right on her face to go to the outside. Bliss got smashed into the barricade, and Flair still can't get the job done. And she goes for the moonsault. Alexa moves out the way, but then she adjusts, lands on her feet, and hits Standing Moonsault for 2 which, again, phenomenal spot. The way Bliss countered natural selection as well was really cool. It speaks to how good Alexa Bliss is in the ring. I just feel like she's saddled with a really crap gimmick, and it looks like we're going to see that go away. We'll talk about that in a second. But Flair went to the well once again. Bliss puts her boot up, and then a Rolling Yoshi Tonic for 2.9, which looked great. Bliss went for her finisher, missed it off the top row. And then she almost got locked into the figure eight right after, but she managed to roll it up for two. Bliss goes for the DDT. Flair breaks the pin by putting her foot on the rope. Flair gets Lily, throws it to her and connects with a big boot, natural selection and Flair retains. I was like, okay, that felt like a rushed job to finish this match off. And it, was a bit of a mess. Three and a half links of booted. And now we get to the post-match schmaz because we had to have it. Flair rips Lily apart and Bliss starts attacking her and really was like dominating this the much larger Charlotte. But then Flair, doing Flair things through her over the announce table, you likes uh, Alexa Bliss go into the announce table underneath it. And you clearly see this. You wonder what the hell is going on. Why is she dragging herself over there? It became clear after because Flair tore up the doll like crazy. Just absolutely ripped that thing to shreds. And then Alexa plus came out and she was supposed to be foaming at the mouth, but the Alka-Seltzer spot did not work all that well. Fans are chanting. Thank you, Lily. They're chanting for a doll. Seriously. The WWE fans are chanting for a goddamn doll. I do not want to say the other word, but they're cheering for a damn doll. That's what we're getting. Okay. Not necessarily a big fan of that, but the segment mercifully ends 10 minutes later. 10 minutes longer than it should have been. Bliss crying over a doll. She's on the ramp crying. I mentioned earlier, I like Alexa Bliss as a wrestler. She's She's got a lot better over the last few years. But please, for the love of God, kill this gimmick dead. This should be the match that officially kills Lily dead forever. And I think in all honesty, why not? Again, this is just my opinion. I have no friends in WWE to where I can pitch this. But I say, if you're really wanting to just drift away from this as fast as humanly possible, as much as humanly possible, have her come back at Mania. Have her come back at the Rumble. You've got to have her spend about three to six months away from the WWE. Spend as much time as possible keeping her the hell away. Now, they're probably not going to do that. she might be back in two weeks and everything's be like rebooted and we'll never talk about it again. But the right way to go about it is have six months or three to six months, have her away for a while. And when she's ready to come back, have her rebooted as the old Alexa Bliss. Because this gimmick isn't over anymore. The pandemic's over time to get rid of the spooky stuff. Ironically, it's about to be spooky season and you get rid of it before October, but that's a different conversation. Also doesn't help matters. You got rid of hell of a cell. You move that over to the summertime, but again, different conversation for another day. But now you kind of put yourself between a rock and hard place with all in all honesty. With this angle. I hope they do the right thing. And get rid of the damn like Fiend gimmick. The female fiend gimmick did not work. The fiend gimmick was the only thing that actually worked in the WWE over the last few years. And I'll be honest. They screwed that up too to a certain extent. But again. It is what it is. Now we get to a much better match. And a much more entertaining one. Jeff Hardy, Sheamus, Damian Priest for the United States Championship Jeff Hardy immediately got, like, wrecked by Sheamus with the bro kick, making it a one-on-one to start the contest. And Priest and Sheamus, they do a great job. Hardy finally gets back in it, shows some offense before. Priest shows off his hops with a big dive to the outside. Priest and Sheamus exchange the beats of the Bowery, and then Hardy took over after a big drop kick on the Celtic Warrior. Hardy gets a two-count on Sheamus after he basically does the reverse leg drop and makes a bridge. Trying to get the pin, doesn't get it. It's only a two-count. Sheamus sets up Hardy for the Alabama Slam, and then the Alabama Slam, once he hits it, his mask, his face mask pops off, which was really cool. And Hardy takes out both Sheamus and Priest with a whisper in the wind for two a little bit later. Then you have... Hardy, he goes for the ropes during the Cloverleaf hold, which was a great move. And then they say, no rope breaks, it's a triple threat match, no DQ. On a night of extreme rules, we're concerned about the rules. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. And this was just a really fun match back and forth. And you felt like there was a chance where Jeff Hardy could have won this match. And you wouldn't have complained about it, to be honest. Sure, Jeff Hardy you know, doesn't need another title reign, but he having like an opportunity... To where he can hit a Swanton bomb and be considered like an opportunist type move. And that kind of finish would have been a lot of fun. Because now you get to see Damian Priest and Hardy face off again. But Priest rolled up Hardy. Oh, excuse me. Sheamus like 10 seconds later. After Sheamus hit the pro kick on Hardy. And retained the U.S. title. This was four lakes of boot and probably one of my favorite matches of the night. A lot of false finishes and it kept you intrigued the entire time. Now we go to backstage, and Biggie accepts the challenge, and apparently he's going to open the show tonight. This is being taped on Monday, just before RAW. We're going to release the bulk of this on we release it on Tuesday, because I've still got to kind of at the time of this recording, I've still got to finish up some notes on Rampage. Didn't finish it all the way through. Probably going to do so tonight. But anyways, we go to the SmackDown Women's Championship match: Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. Becky goes for a handshake, a lot like their first meeting, but Belair decided, nope, not going to do it. Lynch tried to hit the main handle slam immediately, and Bianca teased KOD. Becky wound up going for a handshake, but Belair said no. Then Lynch went for the main handle slam, but Bianca got out of it and tried the KOD, but Lynch got out of it and went to the outside. Fans absolutely were split in the middle of this entire match, and that's what you love to see when you see, like, two future stars. Now, yes, I think Lynch played heel extremely well in this match, at least from what I could tell. She even hit natural selection, which I pop for. I'm like, wait, no way. That's really cool she pulled it off. She actually went into the well of Charlotte Flair. Again, maybe trying to be a heel in this situation, which is great. Then we get to Bianca. She takes over, and she turned a sleeper hold where Becky was on her back, turned that into a vertical suplex, reset the match. Both of them are down on on the mat. We see a tug-of-war spot with Belair and Becky trying trying to grab the hair, which, again, is always just something I think we see every time. It's playing the hits. It's fine. But she winds up taking over. And it's a great-looking spine buster for two. Lynch kept trying to lock in the disarmor the entire match. Belair got to the top before she really secured it the first time. They go outside. And then Bianca tees the glam slam into the steps. But Lynch then throws her out of the ring. Excuse me, into the steps. Belair gets in with about the count of eight. And then Becky hits a top rope leg drop for two. A rope-assisted leg drop. That gets a two-count as well, which was phenomenal. Disarmor, like, Becky got the disarmor and it looked like, but Bianca got out of it. Then we saw a couple near falls, and we reset the match once again. Bianca counters the disarmor into the KOD. It looks like she's about to win the title for the second time, but then Sasha Banks comes out, and we're like, oh, my God. This is where things are going to get real. Bianca gets the DQ win. Becky retains. After she beats up Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks winds up beating up both of them. Takes over, and now we see, and now we see a phenomenal triple threat coming up. This is probably the best part of pay per view. I understand people don't hate hated the fact that you had to finish the way it was, but damn if that wasn't entertaining. The fact you got to see the genuine shock when Sasha Banks returned out of nowhere. You saw obviously Becky and. Bianca put on a really good match. So why not see Sasha Banks be added to this on the next pay-per-view? I think that'd be the next that'd be the step in the right direction, at least in my mind. Four and a half weeks to boot probably my match of the night here. Then we get to the main event. Oh boy. The Finn Bauer Extreme Rules match against Roman Reigns. Demon Finn against Roman for the Universal Championship. And this is typical stuff here. It starts off slow, where Romans take, Roman basically takes advantage early on of the size. And then you see him break out a kendo stick. Fiend's got like five of them all wrapped together, which was, again, an awesome spot. And these two just absolutely wailing on each other. And Finn dropped Reigns with a big knee on the outside. Pulled the table out, but Reigns made a big lariat. Hit a big lariat on him. And then says there will be no tables in the match, even though there will be later on. Eventually, Bauer does get the table in the ring, but Roman Reigns hits a big drive-by, and Finn Balor goes like right into the post. And like, what the freaking hell just happened? That was a really good spot. You don't see it that often. Then they go to a walking brawl, and Finn gets thrown over the barricade, and then Roman stands there. And Paul Heyman pulls out a mask. And Roman Reigns wore it. I popped for that spot. That was extremely well done. Now we get over to the kickoff desk where we see Reigns. He like teases a slam on the desk after throwing Finn over it. The Bauer fights back, nails a cross body through the tables on the outside. And now the two are going to start fighting back up, and we reset it. Bauer sets up the table that Reigns but Reigns throws him right into it with a Uranagi that had some real oomph to it like pretty much the second he did it. It was a two count. Good sequence with Finn having a Pele kick and then Reigns lands Superman punch for two. Reigns teases the spear but Finn turns and around counters, hits the sling blade. Bauer went to the shotgun drop kick but Reigns hit the spear for two. And in the kick out Finn wound up going low on. This is when the match kind of. Goes off the rails a little bit. Or should I say a lot. Because Balor then hits the coup de grace. On. Roman. But the Usos break up the fall. They break out another table. And they try and go for. What looked like a double choke slam. A lot of like when Kronik did high times. It reminded me of that so much. <laughs> but he gets out of it. And then. Power bombs. Jay through a table. Then Roman Reigns spears Finn through the barricade, and he's—I mean—they're both dead. Everybody's laid out. All of a sudden, you hear the heartbeat of Finn's music, and then you have him come out and get up. And he now he's in Super Demon mode. Hits a shotgun dropkick on Reigns, where Reigns just flies through a table. It was a phenomenal bump. And then he says, "Oh yeah, i we'll gonna throw you back in the ring. Go for." The double stomp go for the coup de gras that's what the demon does and he sets up all of a sudden the top turnbuckle breaks how the hell does that happen i've been trying to figure that out all day about how that happens though we've seen it once whenever braun got thrown with such great it's to me roman got thrown with such great force the top turnbuckle exploded off but there was no explanation as to how that happened and then roman wins with the spear Four and a half links of Boudin, this was a really good match. But then the finish happened. Like, the thing that I'm thinking about when I watch this match is very similar to how I feel when I'm watching, like, an anime. I'm going to bring up Dragon Ball Z for an example because it makes the most sense and it's the most mainstream. So let's break it down. You remember when you were young and you watched Dragon Ball Z and you're at the point of the show where you've been spending so much time like building up Goku as this like hero, as this unstoppable warrior. And now he saw his best friend die. And now he is reaching to that next level that he's never gone to before that nobody's ever gone to before. That's what Finn Balor did. He essentially hulked up and went super demon. In my mind, I'm going super Saiyan. Whenever Goku went super Saiyan for the first time, you were hype as hell for that. I was hyped for it because it felt like Finn was going to win. And Finn winning would have been great. Now, of course, you probably would have seen Roman win the title back before the match at Crown Jewel. But this was would have been a great moment for him. But, of course, you end it on a really crappy note. Imagine going back to the Dragon Ball Z analogy. What if Goku lost to Frieza, and he died on Planet Namek. One, the show would not exist anymore, but number two, you would have all that investment, all that equity in watching this match and watching this fight go down to the absolute wire, and you sit there, and you watch a match end like that, where the Hulk up spot, that like 99% of the time works, but he doesn't get the win. Imagine Hulk starts hulking up, but then Roman Reigns just hits him with the spear, and it's over. You get no camp. You get, you don't have the comeback. You don't have the shine spot. If if Reigns had kicked out at two, I probably would be able to understand that a lot more, as opposed to not hitting it, having a rope malfunction, and now possibly Finn Balor's out for a while because that looked like he legitimately hurt his knee. And that's the screwed up part of all this. They may have like injured somebody as part of an angle. I've been so confused in all this. And I think I figured it out. They just want to have Roman Reigns stand tall over everybody. To me, this is what Hardcore Holly wanted to do about 20 years ago. When he pitched the idea of winning the title and beating everybody. This is what that is. And you destroyed not just one character in Finn Balor, but you destroyed two by the demon. The demon losing, the way he lost was so BS, now it hurts everybody that's not named Roman Reigns or Paul Heyman. And I swear to God, I'm not reviewing Crown Jewel, by the way. I refuse to, like, review that crap. This has always been, like, one of the worst pay-reviews of the year. And not just because of the fact they're in Saudi Arabia, which is a whole different conversation that we can have at a different time. But this thing is such bull that we saw a finish like that. And now we're supposed to be told, oh, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way we're going to have the main event of Extreme Rules go. Off the air, no Brock Lesnar, no nothing. We're just going to wait for the next pay-per-view to do that. And you ruined two superstars, Finn Balor and the Demon Finn Balor. They're the same guy, but it's two gimmicks you just basically killed off in one fell swoop. Now, what else I'm wondering is, in the midst of all this, is what's the end game here with Roman Reigns? I've loved Roman Reigns. He's been the best part of WWE programming over the last 300-plus days he's been championed. Since he returned, he's made WWE programming a hell, hell of a lot better. A lot more digestible, especially on Friday nights. Monday Night Raw is getting better. They've made strides over the last few weeks, but it's going to take a lot more than just a few weeks and trying to build more of an audience during time whenever typically the ratings do dip down because you're up against Monday Night Football. You have a chance tonight because you're up against the Cowboys and Eagles game. Probably a, going to be a very low-rated contest. Because nobody likes any team in the NFC East, to be quite honest with you. But the question always is going to be, what's next? After, like, let's say hypothetically he beats Brock at Crown Jewel, and they maybe run it back at Royal Rumble. You have to build a whole ass superstar to beat Roman Reigns by WrestleMania time. Unless you're just going to go ahead and have him beat every single superstar on your roster and denigrate them to the point where you don't have anybody else. You've already had him beat a part-timer in John Cena. You've already established him as your next top dog. And if he beats Lesnar at that show in Saudi Arabia, Crown Jewel, who else is left? What's left for him to do as a champion? He could probably run back all those matches again that he has against the main roster guys. He could have a match against Edge again. I don't know if they're going to do that. You could have Seth Rollins turn babyface. I doubt they're going to do that, but they could have a match with him. They could bring a guy from NXT that's not Braun Breaker because Braun Breaker is going to win a title in WWE, but I think that's probably a year or two down the road. But how are you between now and... And WrestleMania going to build somebody up to where you can say, hey, he can beat Roman Reigns. He can do this. He can do something that nobody's been able to do for over 500 days or something like that. Hell, you could have Walter, which by the way, would be a great idea, but I doubt it's going to happen because I know he has a thing about not wrestling in the United States, not moving from the UK to the United States. But that'd be a great thing to do. Dragon off be convincing, but based off of what you have on the SmackDown roster right now, and this is before the draft, that's going to be starting on Friday, before you even get into the draft, now you're sitting there wondering, what am I going to do now if I'm Vince McMahon and I'm creative? What do I have to do now to make Roman go over, Roman be strong? And more importantly, how going how am I going to book myself out of having Roman hold the title for like three years? Because that's the way this seems to be going. Because nobody's being able to beat him. It's very reign of terror esque. If you go back to Triple H in two thousand two, this is very reminiscent of that. And there's and the problem is WWE has not built up enough stars. Are we convinced Shinsuke Nakamura can beat Roman Reigns? I don't think so. Apollo, he's a heel. The faces on SmackDown, there's not enough credible threats for Roman. That's the crux of this like whole thing. And it's time for them to find somebody that can be a face on that level and can be convincing enough to where you think there's a chance this guy can beat the champ. That's the most important thing out of all this. All right, now that we're done talking about the pile of crap that was, you know, the Extreme Rules pay per view, let's go ahead and talk about the good in wrestling. Dare I say, the great or maybe the elite version of pro wrestling. And that is AEW Dynamite and their Grand Slam show. This one was absolutely amazing. First off, I love the fact that they actually brought back the LED entrance board because it made things a lot cooler, especially with Rampage. i will probably get more into the main event rather than the entire show because that was a cool main event and has me intrigued at what they're going to do next. But anyways, they had the LED entrance board, which looked great. And it just added a little bit more and made this just different enough to where I was like, okay, this is a really cool venue, Arthur Ashe Stadium. And I thought this was the best dynamite of all time. And that's saying something because we've had some really good ones, especially post-pandemic. But we're going to start off, obviously, with what's causing all this. And I was amazed that this actually started the show. Like you are showing Major Huevos starting off the show. With Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson. Because here's the thing nobody can top what they can do inside of that 20 by 20 squared circle. There's no way you could do that with this. And it's like, why the hell do you start off with this? And then you think about it, this is the perfect opportunity to hook somebody. And this was the perfect match to do so. A 30 minute time limit draw. And it was so good. Like from the second they got into the ring, Brian Danielson over huge. The crowd chant uh, FM up Brian, and they're going crazy. They're just loving it. Daniel Bryan, and they're red hot for the entire 30 minutes. They're spent. And this was a damn near perfect match. I don't normally give star ratings or Boudin ratings on the Cajun Strong Style podcast for TV shows, but I think with this one in particular, I've got to do it. It's a five link of Boudin match, and it's not even close. It's probably. I'd say third or fourth best match of the entire year. And that's saying something considering all the stuff you've had this year from AEW and even WWE has had some really good matches that definitely deserve to be in consideration. But it's definitely, I feel like, top three. Once we get into December, I'll give you a match of the year rating and who which match I think is the absolute best. But in terms of TV, this may be one of the best TV matches of all time. Obviously CM Punk, John Cena from 2013 after Elimination Chamber. That was an absolute banger and just so damn good and smooth. Then you also have, I'd say, Cena versus HBK during the European tour in 2007. That lasted like an hour. And if I'm not mistaken, that was more because the fact that I think either Edge Orton had had heat, so their matches got pulled from the card or something like I, I remember reading dirt sheets at the time and seeing it had to do something with some heat or somebody got in trouble. So they pulled the match from the card and they had seen NHBk go an hour. That was an amazing match in and of itself. I think we can definitely put a few more up there. Christian Kenny Omega from earlier this year was good, not great, but outside that there's probably not many in terms of strictly weekly TV programming because I can't really count some of the clashes, because they did air on TBS on the Superstation. I can't count those entirely, but it's pretty tough to think about anything else outside of what I just mentioned and Angle-Lesnar, the Iron Man match on SmackDown. Even Benoit Triple H was a fun Iron Man match. It didn't match anywhere close to the technical wrestling ability to where I could consider it a four or five star TV match and no, I'm not counting Dragon off Walter one because while it was on a weekly television show in terms of what you think about television, but it was streaming. I can't necessarily count that. I feel like in terms of the four, the three or four that I just mentioned, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, those guys, like those were some amazing matches that will probably stand the test of time. Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson did just that, and it had everything. It was very much the greatest hits of Kenny Omega and the greatest hits of Brian Danielson. Every time you saw him get him in terms of Brian Danielson go down, he turned it around. At one point, he locked in the cattle mutilation, and I popped like crazy. I kind of knew that the ending was going to be a draw because that's the only way you could book this because you can't have Kenny Omega lose on TV, number one. Unless it's somebody like Adam Page. and I'm going to say it right now. I think this main event's full gear. You're going to have a rematch. And he's going to have to... Brian Danielson, I'm almost saying Daniel Bryan, damn it. I think that there's a situation where Brian Danielson gets a rematch. Because the fact that it went to a time limit draw. And they draw this out. They drag this out for a couple months. Leading into full gear. And just follow with me. At full gear, I think Kenny does win. They're going to stretch this out into November because you can't, like, blow your wad and give us two straight matches. And I think he wins because I don't see them doing a trilogy after two straight draws, one being 30, the next being 60. And then you have the third match be a no-time limit. That hasn't necessarily been established. It would be an amazing moment in the history of the sport and in terms of the history books because it would be very similar to a certain extent I think Steamboat Flair their first two matches with time limit draws and they had the third one. I know for sure Joe versus Punk, the trilogy they had, the first two matches went a 60-minute time limit and then they had the last match and it was a no time limit to make sure they had an undisputed winner. I'm almost certain you're going to have to have a situation where Kenny wins at like 55 minutes. Within a five-minute time span, he's got to win this match. And then he moves on. Meanwhile, a little bit further down on the card, I I think it, this would be a great opener. I think we have an opener for the Owen Hart Cup, the Owen, because that's going to be coming up. And I feel like they could really run an eight-man tournament over the course of the next several weeks. And I think this would be the perfect opportunity to have the whoever wins it winds up getting a title shot down the road. And let's just say... Adam Page returns for this tournament. He's one of the eight participants, and just for fun's sake, I'm going to go ahead and put him paired up against MJF, just for the fun of it, because I think that'd probably be the best case scenario. Adam Page, MJF, the first match. And it's for the Owen Hart Cup, the Owen Hart Final. Adam Page wins, and he moves on. And just because I think that Tony Khan is enough of a madman to pull this off. Adam Page cashes in his opportunity to face off against Kenny at AW Dynamite in West Virginia, his hometown, and he wins in his hometown. That would be an amazing end to this storyline, into the chase, because we've been waiting for the end of the road for this chase for a long time. That's kind of where I feel like this future goes over the next few months. And then MGF eventually does take the title away from Adam Page for one reason or another. And we get to see potentially Paige chase again. But I think the right way to go about it is Jungle Boy eventually gets an opportunity for the title against MGF and takes it from him. Maybe a double or nothing or all out. Because you got to remember, a few years ago, these two were fighting, I believe, in the pre-show, possibly for double or nothing in 2020. A couple years ago, these two were dark matches. Or not dark matches, but they were free TV. They were free on YouTube in the pre-show. And then they main event a couple years down the road. It really, and the fact that I know Jungle Boy in the next year, he's poised to be an AW champion. That's just the way I think about it. Now, if it's the way Tony Khan does it, I don't know. But I feel like that's the direction they want to take. And if you want to want to making a statement and drawing the biggest numbers possible, Kenny Omega, Adam Page would do that. Because you know, the second they put the title on the line, everybody's anticipating the AEW world champion to be hangman when it's all said and done. But going back to the match itself, it was amazing. Like so many of the greatest hits and Brian Danielson, give him all the damn credit in the world. He managed to just completely go full bore here. Everything he did was amazing. And the fact that he took so many bad looking bumps, Snapdragon suplex on the ramp, a lot of other Snapdragon, the fact, he had a top rope dragon suplex teased by Omega. Danielson get got out of it, and then he hit a big super backdrop. Then we get an avalanche dragon suplex a few minutes later after a regal plex for two point nine. Danielson countered the one winged angel with a poison rana. Right when he did that, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Kenny Omega goes for the last resort, going for the phoenix splash and misses it. And Excalibur brought up again. This is something I've talked about in the past. Excalibur is great in terms of collecting nodes and having these different like stats and facts come up. This was a perfect example of him crushing it because he brought up the fact the last time Omega went for it. So it establishes the Phoenix Splash as kind of that last resort move. And if he misses it, either he's going to win, either he's going to lose, or it could be a draw it, like it happened in this match. And this was, again, the right finish we needed to see. The Super Click running right after and they save Omega from being killed in the ring. We see a super geek party on Brian, but Jurassic Express and Christian Cage, they make the save that teases the six-man tag going on the next night, which, by the way, was a really good six-man tag. And it was cool to see the super click back together for the first time in a long while. The next thing we get is a CM Punk promo. So you go from a 5 boot boudin match, an instant classic that everybody is raving about. You go from that to CM Punk having a town hall, and it's a really simple promo about saying that Team Taz is trying to take this away from him and take him away from the fans, and he says nobody's taking it away from him. And the best line is, "He's gonna." He said he was going to put Will Ha Hob- Powerhouse Hobbs to sleep. I, it, again, simple, effective promo. It wasn't you know pipe bomb but it was pretty doggone good. It was a great way to sell the match the next night, which CM Punk did wind up winning, of course. Now we just need to see Hook at full gear. I could probably go off on full gear predictions in my mind just because I think there's so many potentially good to great matches on tap and the plans, that kind of think I have no idea. I don't know have any sources. It's just my perspective and how I can see things going. But we get to MGF Brian Pillman right after that. And the more I hear Brian Pillman Jr.'s theme song, I'm convinced it's made by the Jimmy Hart band. It just immediately has that kind of like 90s WCW Nitro vibe. I understand why they're doing it, but it reminds me of that so damn much. So he immediately goes for a double takedown on MGF. And he is fired up from Jump Street. Looks great that MGF slowed things down. But Pillman was able to kind of start countering because he had damn near everything that he could do scouted. MJF caught Pillman with a really nice shot, and it looked like it was a little bit too snug. So Brian Pillman just decked him a great receipt. They went to picture in picture. MJF wound up on top. Pillman was fighting back, and then MJF went to the outside, used Julia Hart as a shield. She came into play again, and Pillman got the dive off not long after. MJF got the win with Assault to the Earth. Good stuff. Surprised with the end result. But it's going to be tough to beat what we saw before. And more importantly, now you get some more heat back on MGF. And mind you, MGF is an absolute heat magnet and then some. And he pulls this off perfectly. Now we get to Malachi Black Cody Rhodes match. And this was a fine match that told a really good story. The fact you had Cody return... Crowds hate him. Malachi's entrance needs to remain with the red smoke and the red lighting because that looked so much more badass in the midst of all the darkness. You have this, instead of like it just being like a gray cloud, it's straight up red. Like it looks like literally it. If you've played Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, you know what I'm going to talk about here. When you had the Blood Moon pop up and basically all the enemies respawn that's what that moment felt like it reminded me so much of the blood moon in breath of the wild i know it's a video game thing on a wrestling podcast but that's just the way i think about it but then they decided to screw it up again they decided to start talking i talked about it last week do not talk on commentary when he makes his entrance once the lights go up fine but do not talk during his entrance it ruins him Like, imagine if Bray Wyatt were to debut this Wednesday on Dynamite, like some rumors are, and you have the Bray Wyatt or the Wyndham Rotunda come out like Bray Wyatt does, and the commentator's like, oh, my God, I remember seeing seeing him wrestle for that other company. We don't want to hear that. Let the damn guy make an entrance, and it makes a statement. Love the crowd booing for Cody. And he was rocking the Captain America Homelander gear, gear. Some people were saying Evil Knievel. That was as expected he's he's always got to look like that all of a sudden brandy rhodes comes out i'm like okay this is really cool and again it speaks to the story now his wife is there the wife of his his child that's really cool and it made sense and at first i'm like he's so winning here he is definitely winning this match great early exchange apart from doing the moonsault into the sit down spot for black and then after that Brandy Rhodes goes into the ring and does the sit down and flips off Malachi black. And you can see her visibly saying F you. And that was such a great moment in terms of they, they caught it perfectly because they zoomed in so much to where you can like visibly see her say the F word and you so damn good. Malachi hit the black mass right as it came back from picture in picture. And Cody slid out the ring at the perfect time. And he was just knocked the hell out. Really good phenomenal fight between these two. Then you have Cody, he gets to the ring. Black goes for the pin, but Rhodes gets his foot on the rope. Great. Ring awareness. Rhodes starts to target in on Black's knee, and he works the leg really well the rest of the way. Rope, aided dragon, screw everything in between. He's rallying back. He hits a cross-cutter. Uh, excuse me, cross-cutter. Cody, Cutter, and Crossroads for 2.9. The crowd bit on this so hard. And at one point, Arn was supposed to go up on the apron, but he fell and then he got back up. And Black threw Cody into Arn. Then Cody went down to check on him, but Arn's like, "I'm fine." I mean, he's he's a guy that's sixty something years old, just had his birthday not long ago, and looks has looked the same way for the last like forty years. I think he'll be okay. And he he was like, "Just focus on the match." Cody starts laying in body blows. Accidentally hit the ref, and then at first I thought it was a thumb to the eye, but no. Malachi Black spit out some black mist. At least this is what it felt like. Could be, you know, something else that Malachi Black has in his bag of tricks. And then he rolls up Cody for the win. It's a four links to Boonan type match for me. Great story told in here, but I'm interested to see what the follow up is because there's a way. There's one of two ways you can go about it. And I think both ways would be really cool. Now, if they actually execute this and it works well, I don't know. Because in terms of kayfabe, Black Mist typically is whenever you use that, the character gets blinded. It happened with Nidia back in the early 2000s, if you remember that, when, during the Tajiri-Jamie Noble feud, and Nidia wound up being blinded. I believe this is 3 04. I could be wrong on that. But it still is a huge part of telling the story. Now... If you want to get maximum heat on Malachi, this is the way you do it. Have it be the black mist and have Cody sell it as such to where he can't see his young daughter. He doesn't know when he'll be able to see his young daughter. He's currently blinded and it's an indefinite time period. How long is he going to be out for? It's definitely old school as hell. Because again, and I think about it, Cody very much loves booking stuff from the old days, from the old territory days. And this would be a golden opportunity to put together an angle that encompasses exactly that, the stuff that he loves. I think there's a way you can book this show to run that angle. It's very similar to the JYD angle where he got blinded by the fabulous Freebirds. He literally had a newborn daughter and they incorporated that into the storyline to draw maximum heat. And people hated the Freebirds because of that. So why not take from the past this example and maximize your potential to make Malachi Black this disgusting bastard that costs this guy an opportunity to see his daughter grow potentially? And obviously, at the end of the storyline, he turns out to not be blinded. By the time you get to full gear, you have another rematch, and Cody gets his win. But at the end of the day, Malachi. As two out of three. He loses a match, but he doesn't lose in like all of his heat. At least that's the, the way I think about it. Or you go the second way. I think this would be a lot cooler if you did this and you slow burned a feud all the way to Revolution or Double or Nothing. Is if instead of it being Black Mat Black Miss, it's more of like a, a Black Plague, if you will, in terms of how Malachi explains it, and the plague infects Cody metaphorically speaking, and brings him over to the dark side and turns him heel, and he becomes part of the House of Black. And it requires somebody like a Dustin Rhodes or somebody else from the Nightmare Family to break the spell. Again, it's very spooky, very much Lucha Underground type stuff, but I think if you can do this angle right, it would be a great way to have Cody Rhodes turn heel but eventually somebody from the Rhodes family breaks the spell that Cody's under. Cody turns babyface, beats up Malachi, and we get to see a rematch at Revolution Double or Nothing because I think you need to spend some time. Either you do it full year or you take some time away from it. That way the rubber match and you can have a long-term storytelling. And I think that's what Cody would love to do. I think there's two ways you can go about it, and those two would be absolutely amazing. Then we get to FTR, Darby Allin, and Sting in a tag team match. First off, FTR rock in the NWO gear, which was fantastic. Sting coming out with a brand new style of face paint. Hadn't seen that before. It was more Darby Allin style, but it was covering his entire face. And this was a really fun tag team match that accentuated the positives of Sting. Sting can't necessarily bump like he used to. Mind you, he took a spike pile driver the week before. So what do I know? But at one point in the match, they do the crotch spot, flare-flop spot. I popped for that so hard. The second he went down, it's like he was about to like sell. I was like, okay, he's, he's going to do it. He's going to do this flare-flop into the crotch. I knew it was going to happen, and I loved it. It was the perfect way to put that together. Really well done. And, of course, the finish was a little wonky, but I still liked it you had essentially Sting locking in the Scorpion death lock, and they did the whole, oh, don't tap, don't tap, brother, a lot like what they did at NXT TakeOver. They did something similar to that. But Darby broke up the hand-holding with the coffin drop and secured the win, tap-out win for Sting and Darby over FTR, which it kind of sucks, but it is what it is. And I think FTR can build up a lot more down the road and you build them up for something else. Because I think I'd love to see Lucha Brothers versus FTR. That probably feels like the next logical step for an AW tag team title match at full gear. But now you've got to rebuild this group. That's the most important thing. You've got to rebuild these two and really make them seem like a legitimate contender. Now we get to the main event. And this was a really cool main event. The fact that they have the women's title main eventing was awesome, especially considering the fact they could have just flipped the script, open with the women's title match, and then end with Omega Bryant Danielson. Good back and forth here. And it was just the fact that Soho had to keep overcoming the odds. And Baker, of course, retained with the lockjaw. But it was all about like fighting off everybody else. You saw a lot of interference in the match. And definitely makes it more of a eh finish. But I'd love to see a rematch between these two down the road. I think out of all the show tonight, this was the one part of the show that maybe wasn't the best. And it just wasn't necessarily like the biggest thing I was looking forward to. But they did a good job. They had a lot of really cool spots. The air raid crash off the top for 2.9 was fantastic. Ruby kept fighting back. And she kept kicking out of everything. Basically, she was overcoming all the odds. It was just a little bit too much. Baker retained with the lock jaw. It was a fine match. Wasn't a huge fan of the interference, but it worked. Overall, this was probably one of the best shows Dynamite has ever had. Every minute had a purpose and kept you entertained and on the edge of your seat. Then you go to Rampage. They had a really fun main event with Eddie Kingston. John Moxley against Minoru Suzuki, and they actually had the full entrance this time. Uh, and Lance Archer, a phenomenal tag team lights out match that I think lived up to the hype. And then some wasn't like as brutal as the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa lights out, but pretty damn close. But the fact that you bring out Homicide at the end of that was possibly my favorite part of the week. Homicide comes out, saving Moxley and Kingston. So now. I'm just sitting here like, okay, I love Moxley and Kingston. Just give me one match. This is all I ask. Just one match with Proud and Powerful against Eddie Kingston and Homicide. Give me an LAX-style reunion match. I would pay money for that. I think Proud and Powerful could be another contender as well for the AEW Tag Team titles because the Lucha Bros and the old LAX, those two had great matches in Impact Wrestling. Just give me some stuff like that, please. Meanwhile, I'm just going to get to UFC 258, and we'll do that next, right here on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. All right, we got one more segment here on the Cajun Strong Stop podcast. I know this has been one of the longer ones. We've gone about an hour. We have a phenomenal dynamite. I want to get to all of that. We had it a mediocre Extreme Rules ending, but a really decent card. I want to get to UFC 266 because it was International Fight Week this week, or last week, I should say, and it was amazing. But I think it's the fact that we got to see a lot of other takeaways and one of those is the fact that we probably got one of the best fights of the year. And we got two nominees, I think, for round of the year. If you saw the prelims, the last prelim fight was possibly one of the most like wildly entertaining. It was one of those I just didn't necessarily like plan on seeing live as it happened. But I had basically full disclosure, I'm watching college football on Saturday nights. And I don't necessarily wanted to. I was I was excited about UFC two sixty six, don't get me wrong. But I felt like I was going to probably miss a little bit of the pre-show, the prelims, because of the fact I was watching the Cajuns take on Georgia Southern. They wound up winning, and they wound up getting done before the prelims finished up. So I went ahead, pulled up the fights on my laptop as I normally do, and I'm like, okay, let me check out the prelims. We're down to the last fight. And this was, without a doubt, just a insane first round where in the last 90 seconds... It looks like one guy is about to get just completely demolished and mop the floor with him. Next thing you know, he turns it around, is able to rally, and I'd probably say he won the damn round. Then you get to round two, and he winds up winning the whole damn thing. Like at one point, the referee should have stopped it. Like he was absolutely messed up in the head, but he rallied and won the whole fight. That was round of the year. And this felt like it could have been, you know, five of the night, give this dude the bonus just based off of one round. Round two turns around, he winds up winning. Definitely was some damn good stuff. Now, I'll say this. Overall, the card was pretty boring. Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler was a joke. And I think Diaz is done. Because Diaz had this moment, and it was very weird. Like, I, I can explain it best. Have you you've ever seen. The George Michael Bluth gif on Twitter, where basically George Michael goes laid down after, you know, maybe broke up with him for the 50th time and the way he lays down so casually, it's hilarious. That's basically what happened to Nick Diaz. He got busted open that all of a sudden he started falling down very slowly. And Lola got the TKO win by retirement. I was like, what the hell was that? Like, why do you end a fight like that? It felt like acidine to me. the, Women's flyweight fight, Valentina Shevchenko, Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy got outclassed from the jump. She was very scared. She was shook before even taking a punch. But Shevchenko wound up getting the win by TKO in the fourth round. And honestly, she would have won by decision anyways. It was positively her night. And I was like, what the hell was going on? And then you obviously had, I think the one good match outside of the main event was probably Rosenstrike versus Curtis Blades because it was, like, it took a little bit, but it sped up, and the fight felt a lot more competitive. Jessica Andrade, Cynthia Calvillo, the opener was good, but you saw first-round TKO, and Andrade just mopped the floor with her, making it look easy. And she was the first one to stop the 34-year-old in Calvillo, but I think now we're gonna see the Thug Rose trilogy. We why not? It should be the way it's going to be. But it's all about the main event for the featherweight championship of the world. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega was a fight that built. Once you get to the second round, no, the third round, excuse me. This is absolutely the fight of the year. This man, this fight turns from a relatively ho hum kind of fight between these two nobody really gaining a true edge it was a stick and move for a lot of it nothing really flashy I think Volganovsky had a clear edge in round one he I, in my card I had him winning 50-44 we'll get to that in a minute I had him winning there but then Ortega started to really use his reach advantage in the third round to where Volk couldn't get a whole lot of big shots to get the win And Ortega got a few shots in. Ortega at one point had a busted nose after a head crash. And this is getting closer to the championship rounds. Then Ortega landed a big punch. Immediately went for the guillotine. Shades of Roman Reigns. Somehow, Volkanovski looked to be dead in the water. But he fights back, gets out of the hold, and just wailed on him. Got on top and took over. Ortega got a triangle choke locked in. Volk got out of that and rallied to end the third round and was really taking over the contest. I ha- That was the moment where it went from a 10-9 to a 10-8 because if he hadn't gotten out of it for about two or three more seconds, he would have lost. The referee would have called it. There's no way he was going to last much longer in that submission hole because that guillotine was locked in like a son of a gun. This was without a doubt the round of the year in the UFC. We had a good takedown attempt by Ortega, and he tried for another guillotine, but Volk got out of that one pretty damn quickly. And Ortega tried to lock in a triangle, nothing doing. Ortega's done for. He needed to call this one at the end of the round, but Ortega, a lot like Zach Morris, was saved by the bell. Somehow Ortega can see. I don't believe it. Dude's going into the fifth round looking like Rocky Balboa, and he's rallying back. This is the moment where I was like, okay, I'm giving 10-9 to Ortega for this one because he was just absolutely bringing the punch. He was down big on the scorecards, but I still had to give him that. I had to give him at least one round. That's kind of where I landed on that. And Ortega probably had a chance because Volkanovski slipped up for a moment, and they went to the limit. Come couple big strikes this time expired from Ortega, and I can't think of any more fights in the UFC this year that are booked so far. I know we are potentially getting Dustin Poirier in December, but I think there's no match better than what we saw at UFC 266 with Volkanovski and Ortega, and Volkanovski won by unanimous decision 49-46, 50-46, 50-44. So you damn near had a split decision. Very close to it. For me, fifty forty four was what I had on the car because I think Volkanovski won all the rounds. I think he took over a lot of those. And I felt like I, I wanted to give Ortega to nine, but you saw Volkanovski take over at the end. I gave him to nine. So he won all five rounds, but you give a ton, and I mean a ton of credit to somebody like what we saw from Ortega cuz nobody could take that kind of punishment and keep moving forward like he did. So I got to give him all the respect in the world. 5044 was where my final card landed. This was again, without a doubt, the fight of the year. But that's gonna about do it for this week's edition of the Cajun Strong Style podcast, a pro wrestling podcast. You can search for us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. It's Cajun Strong Style, a pro wrestling podcast. If you just search pro wrestling, the bad boy should show up. And more importantly, if you haven't already, leave a five star review, subscribe. That way people can notice us, write one. We'll shout you out on the podcast. We got a lot of things to get to on the show. So if you want to check it out, let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on social media at Cajun Strong Pod on Twitter. Just search Cajun Strong Style on Facebook getting an Instagram in the next couple weeks, I'm putting together a YouTube channel not too far down the road as well, because we need to reach out to everybody, reach out to all channels, maybe a TikTok, I don't know yet, but make sure you leave us a subscription, however you do so, and on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, six stars if you're in the Tokyo Dome. Hadn't made that joke in a while, but until next time, enjoy the wrestling, enjoy the fighting, and take it easy.